0: So, I'm going to share some stuff shortly. And uh, I, in wondering what to share, I felt stirred really to share from the well, or the wells that I've been drinking from lately. So, I make no apology from reading quite a lot today. I thought about getting a seat to sit down and read your story. Um, it was interesting interesting uh, life group. It was a great life group, actually. I don't know where Hannah is. Maybe she's with the kids. We had a great time on Tuesday. Yeah, we were washing one another's feet, although I didn't have mine washed, but a few people did. And we were praying. It was great. A real sense of the life of Jesus amongst us. Uh, anyway, um, folks prayed for me. And Mark said, I feel like it's like a big tent and everybody's sat round, and you're going to tell a story. So I thought, well, that's apt because I'm going to tell a few stories. Uh, And so bear with me. Uh, And like it says in the word, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. Mark what I bring. This is not just something to share on a Sunday for the sake of it. This is a very significant um, content that I'm sharing with you. And if I just... Father, I I pray now that you will be stirring by your Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to carry word into our hearts. I'm asking you to ignite our hearts afresh. I'm asking you, Lord, to open our eyes. I'm asking you, God, to pour in more of the life that you have purchased for us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, what I've been up to is uh, I've been stirred. I came across this book recently, which is called The True Stories of the Miracles of Azusa Street and Beyond. I haven't got to the beyond bit yet. It's like, whoa. I'm going to share some stories from that book. Um, And the book in itself is a miracle in terms of the man who's put it together. Tommy Welchell had the privilege of... Sharing much time with the people who actually were there at Azusa Street. in This is 1906 to 1909. Last century. This is a long time ago. I've heard of Azusa Street. Hands up if you have. Wave at me if you've heard of it. Yeah. But I didn't know the half of it. I really didn't. I just thought, well, just miracles happened. I'm mean, telling you. It was amazing. You'll hear. <laughs> so this guy got saved in the 50s. Became a Christian then. And... He lived or spent time amongst the elderly people then at the time of the 1950s and 60s. They were older people who were around in the 1900s, who experienced this power of heaven, visiting 24-7 for three and a half years. I mean, it was continuous and it was mighty. And I recommend the book. If you pay me large sums, you might be able to borrow it. But so I'm just going to dive in and just start to share some stuff. Um, I'm going to start with little bits of miracle and move on to other things. And I've got quite a lot to share, so I might read fast. Um, Okay, so he, he writes as the people are telling the stories and he names the people and he calls them brother or sister. Um, Because that's the way he he terms the the believers. So Sister Dundee began her stories by telling about a crippled child on crutches. About seven or eight. Brought to the meeting by her mum. The child had normal sized legs but wore braces and needed crutches to walk. The little girl told Sister Dundee that she'd been prayed for before but nothing had happened. Sister Dundee sat down and talked to her and explained that if she got healed it would bring great glory to Jesus. She told the child... You're supposed to get healed at Azusa. It was American. It's in California. The little girl listened to her and said, "Okay, pray for me. So Sister Dundee asked, has anyone ever taken your braces off before praying for you? No. Well, that needs to stop. Together, they took off the braces while she was sitting down. Then Sister Dundee took the braces and crutches over to the other side of the room and came back to her. She gently smiled at the girl and said, now, you can't get those back because I won't bring them back to you. I'll keep your mother busy so she can't get them for you. You're just going to have to get healed, Sister Dundee assured her. Darling, we've got to glorify Jesus. It would break his heart if you didn't get healed. I wonder what's going to (laughs) happen. Tears welled up in the little girl's eyes as she almost started to cry. Sister Dundee told her, All that is left for us to do is to start praying and obey Jesus and you'll get healed. Then Jesus will get the glory. The little girl agreed. Sister Dundee prayed for her. Within a few moments, the little girl said that she felt something in her feet, something she'd never felt before. Sister Dundee told her to stand up and to start trying to move her feet. The little girl said, I can't. Sister Dundee gently responded, you need to try. You could see the excitement rise as the little girl started moving her feet up and down. <clears throat> Excuse me. She looked down and started doing a dance like a little stomp. Then she started screaming. She was healed. Sister Dundee turned, turned her loose and she went dancing and stomping all over the warehouse. Healed and whole. Fantastic. Now that's just a real tiny little miracle. I thought we would start with something itty bitty. But I tell you, if that happened here, I'd be rejoicing. I'd be screaming. Hallelujah. So... Next one. One day in 1907, late 1907, a woman in her mid-40s came into the church and waddled up to Sister Goldie. That's right, waddled like a penguin. How long have you been like this? Goldie asked. Well, it started in my teens, but not badly. Now look at me. It's like my feet weren't quit turning. They were so turned out that they were almost facing the other direction. She could hardly walk, even with the help of a crude walker. And they didn't have many of those at the time. Oh my, we've got to stop this right now. Let's get into prayer. Sister Goldie prayed. God, I don't want this to be a slow one. I want this woman to be healed. Everyone nearby yelled, in the name of Jesus. Oh, sorry, in Jesus' name. They watched and waited. Nothing. Nothing. The woman started to talk, but Goldie hushed her. Shh, be quiet. Watch. Watch. Then all of a sudden, they heard little pops, her feet slowly and twisted. Then they were straight. And the woman said, that's enough. That's enough. I don't want to become pigeon-toed. <laughs> sister Goldie said, sister, can you walk now? No. Well, leave that little walker here with me. The woman started walking. And she walked a few feet and came back. Goldie encouraged her, now try to walk a little faster. Pretty soon, Goldie and that woman were running a race around Azusa Street, running. The woman kept coming back to the church, perfectly whole. Of course, her hubby came back with her. He wanted to see what was going on because he had liver disease called cirrhosis, which causes the liver not to work properly. Naturally, they wanted to see Sister Goldie. She warned him before she prayed, now, if I do anything odd, just leave it alone. Do you want to be healed? Yes, he said. She laid her hands over his liver area. And just before she called upon the name of Jesus, she drew her right fist back and then commanded, be healed in Jesus' name. Thwack. She punched him squarely in the chest. He told her it hurt, but he seemed to have no problems from then on. Praise God. He was healed. He went to his doctor for a confirmation. We don't understand this, the doctor said. It's like you have the liver of an 18-year-old. God had given him a new liver. And the doctor said, now stop your smoking and drinking. And of course he did. So, some little miracles. Now, that wasn't just it. There, there was a whole context to this. There, there was a man called, I don't know his first name, but Parnham, Mr. Parnham, we'll call him, who sought God and prayed and fasted and called on the God of heaven for a move of God. And William Seymour was the man who really instigated the whole events at Azusa Street. And just to say that Azusa Street was actually an old warehouse that formerly was a stable. And God came to inhabit it. Inhabit it. Stable. Interesting. He's done that before. But there was so much, and I'm sharing tiny little drops of an incredible story. So, the next thing I want to share with you is something that they decided to call the Shekinah glory. This amazing presence that was visible. They could see this cloud within the building. And there was fire. Fire coming down on the building. Not the fire that we know that would burn things up. It was a holy fire. Flames were going up and flames were coming down. And you're going to hear a little bit about um, the uh, testimonies of that. So let's just turn to a man called Anderson. And he said the Shekinah glory was hard to explain because it, because it could only be described not understood At times he would come into the building and there would be a kind of a glow. There were times when God would start moving and working. And a smoke-like substance would begin to glow even brighter. People could walk through it. Sometimes it would sort of roll. You couldn't take a fan and blow it out. Nor was it something you could pick up. Brother Anderson confessed that he tried because it looked so tangible. He remembered that at times the mist would get so thick that it would fill the whole building. Even Seymour was fascinated with this heavy mist that filled the room. In fact, there were times that Seymour would take his feet and kind of play with the thick cloud. Brother Anderson was awed by the glory and described it as a part of heaven coming down. You could walk in it, sit in it, run your hands through it and breathe breathe it into your lungs, but you couldn't capture it. And some of the children used to play hide-and-seek in it. I mean, it was just amazing. I pressed Brother Anderson to tell me about the fire. He said it looked like flames about 50 feet in the air coming down into and going up out of the roof to meet and merge in the sky over the warehouse. The fire department were called at points because it was so vivid and real. Young Anderson would just stand there with his mouth open. He didn't know how to explain it, but it was real. He told me the burning bush described by by Moses finally made sense when the bush was burning, but never burnt up. Like the other saints, Anderson noted that whenever the people worshipped by singing in tongues, the power was greater and the anointing fell on the service. Singing in tongues is beautiful. We need to do that more. So that's a little taste of Shekinah glory. And another one. Brother David this time began with the story of the Oh, this is just amazing. Listen to that. I mean, this is what you can't contain God. Now this is in um, Azusa Street, which is in LA, Los Angeles. And there is a railway station. I don't know. It's still there. It probably is. It's called Grand Central. So Brother David starts with the story of Grand Central Station experience. David lived about half a mile on the other side of Grand Central Station and walked right by it to the Azusa Street warehouse where the meetings were held. One evening, he ran to the meeting to find Frank Bartleman and told him that he needed to come to Grand Central Station. Why? What's going on there? Bartleman asked out of curiosity. Brother Garcia, while trying to catch his breath, exclaimed... You've got to come and see this. The anointing is far beyond where it has been in the past. You have you have to come on down and see. Together, Bartleman and Garcia ran down to the station that was half a mile away from the warehouse. There they witnessed people come in from all over the world, get off the train, walk across the platform and fall out in the spirit. Often speaking in tongues. Someone had commented that the phenomenon had been happening all day long. Can you imagine Leeds City Station, it's busy when it's rush hour, it is busy. Can you imagine people stepping off the train because they've just arrived in Leeds and just going, Hallelujah. Can you imagine that happening time after time after time? That is phenomenal. Just incredible because the presence of God was so powerful. It says in the prophet Joel in the Old Testament that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, I used to kind of qualify that and say, yeah, all flesh that believes in Jesus and that is filled with the spirit. That's what he means. No, he doesn't. He means the day is coming where he's going to pour his Holy Spirit upon everybody and they're going to know about it. They're going to be flat on their backs. This is amazing. So, all day long it had been happening. When Garcia first saw the people lying all over the platform area, he thought it was a disaster until he realized what was going on and ran to find Bartleman. Frank had talked about a line or a circle of blood several blocks around the Azusa warehouse where the power of God extended. Several blocks before reaching the warehouse, people were being healed falling out in the spirit and speaking in tongues for the first time. This was the first time God's power had reached all the way to Grand Central Station. Although no miracles were taking place, the presence and power of God, without question, had now moved out half a mile from the warehouse. Brother Garcia was also awestruck by the Shekinah glory that lingered for over three years in and around excuse me, the warehouse during the day he could sometimes see a glowy steam coming from the building he would tell me we have to get the Shekinah back if we want to see a worldwide revival I asked him did you ever see flames he told me how he'd get off work during the wintertime and it would be dark he'd take the bus home shower and come out on his porch looking across the the river Some nights he could see flames shooting up 50 feet into the sky and coming down out of the sky. He said, Brother Tommy, I'd run the whole way. I didn't walk. I ran shouting, glory, hallelujah, because big things were happening at Azusa when those flames were there. He wanted to be a part of it all. This goes on a bit longer, this one. He explained the experience of the Shekinah glory was greater than breathing pure oxygen. It was heaven's breath. There were times the mist was only a foot high and he would lie down in it and breathe in God's glory. Brother Garcia often stressed that the greater the greater the Shekinah glory, the greater the power. He would note that the flames were there when God, through William Seymour, performed the mightiest of miracles. Where a leg grew out. And another where an arm grew out. You'll hear about that in a minute. Where there was none before. Garcia was there when the arm grew out. He said, Brother Tommy, this man didn't have a ball. A ball joint in his shoulder. It had been ripped out. I was close enough to be looking right at the shoulder. All of a sudden, I saw bones start to come out. Then flesh started coming around them. This man's arm just shot out in what seemed mere seconds as I watched. For Garcia... It seemed he was watching this miracle in slow motion as he awed at what God was doing. That's awesome. Yeah. Hallelujah. And do we want one one more? Okay. So this is some of the most remarkable ones. This is the leg. Okay. The man with the wooden leg. Um, Seymour approached this man and said, "'What did you come here for?' The man replied, "'I want you to pray for my leg. "'It's starting to get gangrene "'where the wooden leg attaches.'" So this guy's obviously just praying that his amputation will heal. The man removed the wooden leg and stood before Seymour, balancing on his one good leg. Seymour laid hands on the man and proclaimed, "'Let thy name be glorified. "'In the name of Jesus, "'I command this leg to grow out.'" The gangrene is gone. You are healed. Seymour didn't preach that night. The miracle spoke for itself. Rejoicing <laughs> excuse <me>. rejoicing <clears throat> was continuous as the crowd went wild. The man run, uh, run, ran upon the platform and around the room on two good legs. No one could get him to stop rejoicing and <laughs> praising God. Just amazing. Next, Sister Langford told me of the man with no arm, which we just heard about. He had lost his arm 10 years earlier through a work-related accident. The arm had been totally severed at the shoulder. Brother Seymour asked the crowd, would you like to see God have a wonderful time here tonight? Some of you may remember that the man, a man's leg grew out about a year ago. Seymour then asked the one-armed man, can you work with just one arm? I'm just given minimal paying jobs and I barely make enough money to eat. Seymour shook his head and responded, that's not good. Are you married? Yes. Got kids? Yes. This man needs to be able to make a living, needs to be able to work, needs to be able to pay his tithe. Will you tithe if I pray for you and God gives you your arm back? Seymour asked teasingly. Yes, the man replied. He burst out laughing. I'm just having fun. Then he slapped his hands on the shoulder itself and commanded the arm to grow out. Almost instantly, it grew out. The healed man stood in total shock, then started moving his new arm, inspecting it with his other hand. wonderstruck by the miracle. A few weeks later, the man came back, bringing about 200 people with him. <laughs> I wonder why. Telling many at the meeting that he had gotten his old job back. Many of those he brought with him needed healing and left that evening fully restored as people in the crowd prayed and laid hands on each of them. Excuse me. It's moving. Hallelujah. Tears are the language of heaven, you know. (sighs) Glory. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. (sighs) But how do we get this back? How is it what is going on oh I forgot to tell you before I do that page 29 must read this this is called listen up the hundred-year prophecy okay so sometime in 1910 William Seymour just stood up on the stage took the took the box off his head now this is another thing he would sit Before the meeting with a box on his head. I know it sounds stupid. But this man was anointed with such power. He would be fellowshipping with God under the box. Now, he obeyed God. What a weird thing to do. Sometimes God asks us to do weird things. To humble us. That we know it's not about me. It's about Jesus. God is very jealous of his glory. But this man was faithful. He did what he was told. Um, So anyway, back to the prophecy. Took the box off his head and started prophesying. He said, in about 100 years time, that would be 2010 and onwards, there would be another revival like Azusa Street. Only this time it would not be in one place. It would be all over the world. There would be, oh, come on. There would be a return of the Shekinah glory and the miracles. This revival would not be with just one person or just pastors. It would be with everybody in the body. This time the revival will not end until the Lord returns. Seymour repeated this revelation more than once. And there were others who also prophesied at a very similar time. There was another uh, within a two-week period who prophesied exactly the same thing in another location in the States. Uh, Independent of um, Seymour. Brothers and sisters, we are now living in the time where that prophecy must be fulfilled. And it is beginning to be fulfilled. But I'm sharing here today as like a carrier of this. If you haven't heard this, I'm speaking forth what has been spoken of the things and the ways of heaven to break in to our lives. To shake us up. To fill us up. To inspire us anew. That God wants to do powerful things for people. He wants to rescue people from the ravages that the devil has robbed people in. Sickness, disease, um, financial uh, lack, poverty, all manner of things. So now is the hour. But the how? Zechariah 4.10 no, it doesn't. Zechariah six says where some guy's having a vision and they're angels and he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And he asks a question about well, what does this mean? What, what, what are these? And the angel answers. And it's not quite the answer you're expecting. Well, you didn't quite answer my question. But the angel says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now. For those who've asked Jesus into their lives, the Holy Spirit is resident within us. Yes. The power of heaven, the power that rose Jesus from the dead is on the inside of you. And I'm running out of time and I've got a whole load more to share with you. He is within. Now, very quickly, if you can bear with me. Uh, just coming up to Christmas time in December, uh, I woke up one Monday morning and I could barely get out of bed. I felt so tired. It was ridiculous. And I've been standing on the promises of God for health and healing. And I've been seeing success. And I've been seeing things break off me. And I was just thinking, God, I don't understand it. I, in fact, I don't, I don't actually feel ill. I just feel exhausted. And I just thought, I cannot work today. I just, I'm, I've just i never been like it before. So I kind of rang in sick and said, I'm really sorry, I can't come. Went downstairs, just plonked myself on the sofa. And I, and I don't normally just flick the telly on. We have um, satellite telly with loads of different Christian programs, some of which are cringe and others are, wow, this is powerful. And I just happened to switch straight on to this guy. It's a guy called Sid Roth who has this program called It's Supernatural. And he just has people on who are experiencing the supernatural of heaven in all manner of form and shape and tremendous. You can Google it and watch online and it just... And I just want to say this, that I wouldn't normally talk about this, but for the fact that it was so God-ordained and such, had such an impact on me that I actually sent off and ordered the books at quite significant expense. But I thought, this is worth it. This, um, the man that was being interviewed was called, uh, is called Kevin Zadai. And in 1992, he was having his impacted wisdom teeth removed. He was 31. And he was under anaesthetic. And during the operation, he left his body and thought, hey up, what's going on? He might have done it in American accent. He's from the States. And he went over to the surgeon and kind of tapped him on the shoulder. Hang on a minute, something's not quite right. But he ignored him and went to the nurse and she ignored him. And then he thought... Wait a minute. And Jesus appeared to him. And for the next 45 minutes, Jesus talked to him, shared with him, and actually said to him, Do you know, you have finished your race. And he's thinking, but I've hardly done anything. And Jesus said, I'm giving you an extra mission to go back and talk to all the people I'm asking you to talk to. And I will come up and I will speak in your right ear the very words that you are to say. And he's had countless divine appointments with people where he's he's changed the course of their lives because he's obeyed Jesus. Now, some of the things Jesus told him were, I don't want you to share this until I tell you. And it was only until um, a, a matter of a few years ago, the book's 2015, I think. And it was only in that short period of time. That Jesus said, I now want you to start to share. He shared with just a handful of trusted people before that. But then it was like, I want you to go public now with this. For me, I sat there and I just, this is a word to the church. Capital C. There is so much in this book, I can't begin to tell you all that's in it. But I do want to flag up three things that Jesus said Um, And I want to say I'm endorsing this, this man and this experience. There is a lot of stuff out there, isn't there? We think "Mm, a bit flaky. But I want to wholeheartedly say there is nothing that is out, not in scripture, nothing that is out of line. And it all stacks up. Um, Just a very short thing. Which Jesus stressed a huge amount. He talked about the importance of our words. And I preached on this last year. The power in our words and to harness our words and to catch our idle words. Either our words are passwords to access God's power to build his kingdom on earth and the purpose he created us for. Or they create roadblocks to his purposes. And, And Kevin writes, I was astonished at how important the words I spoke were. However, that was only the beginning of his teaching. He wanted me and you to understand so much more. The next thing I want to flag up is the importance of speaking in tongues so during the visitation jesus mentioned much about the operation of the holy spirit in the believer's life he discussed praying in the spirit as if it were necessary for everyone not optional Clearly, he considered to be important for his disciples of today. Jesus encouraged me to pray often in the spirit and emphasize that it is the single most important activity for walking in the supernatural. Did you hear that, folks? The single most important activity we can do as believers to function in the supernatural. Wow. As Jesus urged me, I encourage you to make praying in the spirit part of your life every day. Then he quotes some scripture from 1 Corinthians 2, 4 to 5 and 9 to 16, which I don't really have time to read. Um, And I'll jump on. By praying in the spirit, we yield... To a process through which God communicates his heart to us. Now, when I laid down on the floor and I was praying in tongues, I was, you can just switch on and off. Having a clue what I'm saying, other than this is from heaven. It's, it's God's spirit praying through me. And he desires that for everyone. Now, there was a journey for me to discover this because I was just a bit bemused. I didn't know, how do you do this? I was complicating it, I have to say, making it more complicated than it really needed to be. Uh, and today we're going to have opportunity for those who don't yet speak in tongues or you want a fresh infilling, we're going to pray for people to be able to do that. When I began speaking in tongues, I had been a Christian already about four or five years, and I went on to Turbo Boost. I tell you, I was transformed When I began speaking in tongues, I just changed. I could see myself changing before my eyes. It was like, whoa, this love welled up inside me for people. Where's this coming from? I love people. What's this? It's Holy Spirit. You're praying mysteries. Um, I could go on and on and on. As you pray in tongues, you're yielding and you can consciously say that I yield to you, Holy Spirit, today. I just consciously say it. it's our words again. Like I was sharing last year, your tongue and what you say is like the rudder of the vessel. It says that in, in the book of James, doesn't it? The way we speak steers us either down a route that's a dead end, negative, depressed, fed up, or I will bless the Lord. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to declare the good things of God. Yes, it is a good day. This is the day the Lord has made. And so on. So yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now the last little bit. Which I thought was incredibly powerful. And I'd never considered this before. When Jesus was on the cross. He he died. He left his body. And his spirit. The real person of Jesus. You know we're all real on the inside. These bodies pass away. But the real us is on the inside. Jesus came off the cross. And he went into hell for three days and nights until he rose again. He was in hell dealing with the enemy. And he finally took the keys of death and hell, it says. These are mine, Jesus said. Death no longer needs hold fear over any man, woman or child anymore if they trust in me. I have the keys of hell and death. Glory to God. But this is his experience, okay, when he went into hell. This is Jesus sharing with Kevin. Jesus shared with me about the time he spent in hell after dying on the cross. He said, during that time, he was cut off from the Father and the Holy Spirit. He experienced torment and punishment for everyone's sins so that we could escape the pain and punishment we deserve. No human being needs to go to hell because Jesus paid the debt created by all our sins. Jesus was extremely passionate when he talked about his... Oh, (laughs) excuse me. Jesus is a man just like us. He experienced anguish. And he was anguished as he related the story. He said that he had to go deep within himself to remember and rehearse his identity with the Father. Because circumstances were screaming the opposite. The demons were hailing accusi- accusations and lies. Saying you would failed, you're miserable, you're useless, you're not the son of God. You thought you were and you're not. You failed in your mission. It was relentless. It was awful. And Jesus... Himself had to think, I know my God. I know who I am. If he had to dig deep into himself, what do you think we have to do when we face circumstances that are challenging? But God is with us in all of that. You know, Jesus had never experienced a moment without the Father's presence until he was dying on the cross. And he said, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was fulfilling scripture. Satan thought he'd defeated Jesus until he received the command from the Father to walk out of hell and take with him the righteous dead. The Apostle Paul reported in the book of Ephesians, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Jesus himself says, I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. The father promised Jesus that by following through with the salvation plan, God would unite humanity with him in a plan for their redemption. Jesus expressed to me with great emotion, in a broken voice, (laughs) the anguish he went through for us. And his great longing that Kevin share its importance with everyone who would listen. And he goes on. I'm going to bring it to a close shortly. Jesus, in his short life, he had to come and discover the scripture that talked about him. And he had to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth that spoke about Jesus, the Messiah. And from from those words, while still a boy, he gained an insight into the experiences that were to come for him about being crucified. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor. And he Jesus actually said that the following in Psalms was a source of great comfort and guidance during his time in hell. And you'll know this Psalm, Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My, re, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in shale or hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus rehearsed that to himself when he was in the pit of these lies and what was going on. And then finally, God gave the command of release. And Jesus took the keys and rose up and out and took with him. It says he took captivity captive and he released people and gave gifts to men. Hallelujah. You've listened patiently. Glory be. There is so much more I could share. What I've shared is challenging. Would you agree? But God's purpose is to encourage you and help you where you are, where I am. You might feel like all this is beyond you. You might feel a failure or a disappointment to God. But those are lies. And if you have to deal with stuff that you think, oh, I'm no good. Oh, no, I won't do that. Oh, I can't do that. That sounds like what Jesus experienced, doesn't it? That sounds like the lies from the pit of hell. Wait a minute. It's not me saying these things. Actually, something's whispering lies in my ear. Do you know? I'm going to get wise to this. I'm not going to listen to this crud anymore. I have authority. I can crush the enemy under my feet. God loves you. And his love for you, he loves you for who you are and not what you can do. He's paid a great price for you. And he's placed the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you if you've asked Jesus into your life. But that's only part of the deal. He wants the power released through what we call the baptism and the Holy Spirit. So it's like, you know, on your boilers at home, if you've got a gas fire boiler, you see the little pilot light. That's like when Jesus comes into your life. The pilot light goes on in your boiler. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you switch it on. You switch your hot water on a whoosh. The boiler goes whoo. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that's the power of speaking in tongues. God wants releasing in you power so you can face your Monday mornings and the challenges that come your way. So, I'd love to pray. And prayer team will come and we will pray for people. Three areas. Those who want to speak in tongues who haven't prayed in tongues or you're not sure. You think maybe I do. Well, maybe I do a little bit, but not a lot, and I need some help. So if you want that being prayed for, I would delightfully pray for you. Those of you who feel, actually, I feel like I'm under stuff, and I, you know, I resonate with what you're saying about you know, being down on myself, or just not feeling I match up, that stuff needs to be booted out. And then thirdly, you just want to get blessed. You want to get fresh in filling. From what I've shared, you think, man, that is just wild. I can't see myself doing that. I want us to pray so that we are in freshly fired up. So could we have some music in the background? Um, and those of you who just want to sit there, please sit there and pray. And if you want prayer, please come forward. Um, I've shared a lot. You've listened very patiently. Well done. Top marks. But this is a day and an hour where the end times are drawing near. And I don't want us to be slow to respond, slow to get moving. Time is short, but we need to be in that place. And God's got everything. He's got a table here that's full. Does anybody want to take from the table today? Then come up. I will pray for anybody and everybody. So I'm going to put the mic down, and we can pray personally, and so on and so forth. Can we have the music on, please? Have we got any? Yeah. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give... Second chances to anyone, and we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud, we give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.